Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. As always, I'm Tannen Grace. I'm joined today by Ross Merriam, as always. How you doing, buddy? I'm tired, Tannen. I'm also tired, Ross. I worked for 24 hours this weekend. Oh my God. days. Okay. And then we drove home today. And I got oh, home, God. and an hour and a half later, we're recording a podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't know you were actually like traveling today. My bad. So for everybody who doesn't know, this is Monday, uh, about 5.30 your time, so 5.30 Eastern. Yeah, I, I, I was looking to get, you know, record early in this week. That just, mm-hmm. just was going to work out better for me. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just been a long weekend, a lot of talking, just over and over and over again. But mm-hmm. uh, super fun to, you know, be in a, a real booth as opposed to Corey's basement where I've been doing the, the Manitrader's gigs. Yeah, so for people at home that don't know, Ross did some coverage of an actual paper event this weekend along with uh, Todd Anderson. Yeah, so the, the two of us went to uh, lovely Southeast Ohio. And if you know anything about Ohio geography, you know there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah. Cleveland is in the Northeast, Cincinnati in the Southwest, Toledo in the Northwest, and Columbus is in the middle. But there is nothing in Southeast Ohio. Very much like what you two just did. I actually got hired to do a gig about two weeks ago uh, for a flesh and blood event up in Ohio. And because of recovering from COVID and some flight issues, I was unable to make it. But I remember, you know, they, they wanted to hire me. We like talked all the specifics and they're like, hey, it's here. And like, we'll come pick you up from the airport and get you where we're going. And I'm like, OK. And so I looked up where their where their place was. And I was like, this is in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but apparently that's just all of Ohio. It's not like Cleveland or yeah. you know, Akron or one of the big cities. So the, like uh, it was done by Apex Gaming, which is a store in, in Caldwell, Ohio. Uh, and they, uh, the owner there worked with other TOs and stores in the region to run essentially a, a tournament series, but one that is very localized. Um, so they ran, uh, I think, 16 qualifier events over the course of the last five months across four different stores. So it was Apex and three others. Each store had four events. And if you made the finals of, of any of them, you're automatically qualified. So there are like two slot qualifiers. So you had 32 people qualified. And then they had a point system similar to like the SAG Tour uh, used to. And the top 32 players who weren't qualified uh, would, would also make it. So it was made for a 64-person event. Uh, they ended up having a tie for 30 seconds. So we had 65 qualifications and we were all sweating whether all 65 would show up because then we'd have to play a seventh round. Yeah. Um, uh, but we had, I think we had 60 show up, which is a pretty good number when you're 65 qualified. Uh, but honestly, that's actually really good. Yeah. yeah, Kind of to be expected when everything is so localized, like, you know, everybody is pretty close. Actually, our our winner drove from three hours away, which is probably as far as anyone traveled for this event. Mm -hmm. Uh, but all done at the local store level, uh, was a a really cool idea. Uh, and so for the invitational, they wanted to have, you know, real top-notch commentary, this store actually has like a full so studio setup. With, so why did they go with you two then? <laughs> I'm sorry. I set myself I'm, up for I'm that so, one. It was, dude, you just teed it up so yeah. perfectly. I'm sorry. They, anyway, they like continue. do commentary and like, you know, a sort of versus live thing throughout the week. So if you go to their, uh, you know, Twitch channel, Apex Gaming, like, Apex Gaming they, yeah. they have live uh, magic playing a lot, you know, most evenings. Uh, and they'll have people from the store do commentary and some of the other people there. They brought me and Todd in to do the commentary for this event. Um, and because they wanted to make it a, a big thing, they actually uh, finagled getting an RCQ for that weekend with two slots 
for That's that nice. Sunday. Yeah. And so this was it was a 5K Invitational uh, and a prize purse and a 2K two slot RCQ on Sunday, uh, both modern. And so we we commentated both days, and I I didn't have a lot of you know we didn't talk a ton in the lead up to it. I just knew I was doing commentary at this place with with Todd. Uh, you know, I didn't do a ton of research. I just kind of hoped things would work out. Uh, and we drove there and the, the guy was covering our hotel and Todd told me that he owned the, the hotel we were working in. Like the guy who owns Apex Gaming just owns a bunch of businesses in Caldwell, Ohio. As we came to find out, it's his neighbor that owns the hotel, but the, the, but the owner of Apex Gaming, Kyle, owns the wings, etc. that is effectively right next to the hotel. They're sure. like oddly separated from the road. They're sort of on a, on a plateau. Um, so there's a wings, etc. right there. He owns that. Then he owns Apex Gaming. But in the same building, there's a pharmacy that he owns. And he owns, um, oh God, what else was it? Uh, a medical supply company. Okay. Uh, all of the, And they're all operated out of the same building where Apex Gaming is. There's also like a, a nurse practitioner that rents out a space there, but those are the businesses that he owns. And uh, and uh, we basically learned that he knows everyone in the town because the town has no people. Okay. And so they're all and like most of the people either knows them or they're related to him, and uh, you know has all, a bunch of his family working in various positions. It's a very small town feel, and so I didn't know what to expect. I was kind of assuming that we were going to get just like sat in the corner of the the store, you know, looking at a laptop screen, right? Now, they had a full studio yeah. in the back in the back that was soundproofed. It, it was a closed off room um with uh, you know, so we're sitting at a table and we were looking at a flat screen TV that was mounted on the wall in front of us and they had the, the camera set up um and uh, all the tech stuff was handled by uh, Kyle's brother, who's uh, part owner of the store, also works at the Wings, etc. Um, you know, and so he was just sitting off the off to the side, off camera, doing all the tech stuff uh, and relaying information to us if we needed it. And uh, you know, we sit, you know, every we sat in nice chairs. Every you know, the store was gorgeous and uh, super clean. It was not like your you know small town comic book shop. Uh, so I was very, uh, impressed by the setup they had and, uh, the, the weekend was great, although very long. <laughs> we had on the, on Sunday for the, uh, the RCQ in the semifinals. So like, this is the most important round because it's a two slaughter, right? We're watching Tron versus four color. Uh, and the game one, I think went almost an hour. Yeah. And the four color deck just like, played straight up against Tron. They're just like, oh yeah, you cast an Ulamog? Okay, I'll solitude that. But I lose two things. That's fine. Like, oh yeah, that Ugin resolves. You minus sweep my battlefield, but I'll bolt it and finish it off. Yeah. And they just drew so many cards over the course of the game with, you know, expressive iteration and, and whatnot that like they just ground through all of the Tron threats. Yeah. There was a Kozilek that got that got cast. You know, that drew four cards. The Tron I think the Tron player had like three threats left in their entire deck by the end of this game. Uh, so it was absolutely ridiculous. But at that point, we really just, we just wanted to leave it and get food. So, so yeah, so, so I, have some, I have some questions. Yeah. So was, was this your first foray into coverage like this? Like you said, you know, you've been in the basement of Corey before, right? Yeah. And, but like, this is your first, like going like to a show, doing a show for the entire weekend kind of yeah. thing. 
definitely. Uh, it's it's a little surprising the first time you do it, isn't it? Yeah, um, you know, and and especially because you know we're doing it for a local store, and so the fact that we had the setup that we had was nice, and then. You're just not like I'm not. I was obviously like you know not seasoned enough to immediately think of all of the things I might need. So we had to make you know some adjustments on the fly. Fortunately, like they were all accommodating. So like when I wanted like pairings printouts, uh, you know they they did all their deck list submissions electronically. So mm-hmm. it all got populated into a Google sheet that yeah. then they just shared yeah. with me. So I had all the deck lists on my phone, uh, and then between rounds I had a player sheet with me and I would just like look down the player sheet, look through the sheet for their deck and, and make a note of what archetype they were playing. And then I, I did my own metagame breakdowns, um, you know, pretty loosely. I usually took me a couple rounds of breaks to get those done. Um, so, you know, d- doing it a little bare bones meant, you know, more work. There were, there was not many actual breaks <laughs> over the course yeah. of those 24 hours. So it makes you appreciate what you say, what you see when you watch coverage yeah. and be what everybody else does. Like, um, you know, I've been on both ends of this, right? Like, I've been in shows where we're bare bones. I've been in shows where we have a bunch of people, and, like, the difference feels amazing, right? Like, everyone's covering for you. In fact, um, <clears throat> one of the upcoming Flesh and Blood events, uh, they've, they've they've announced it, so I can start to say something since I know a few things. One of the upcoming ones is going to be done by SCG again. So, A, ready to get yelled at on Twitter or whatever, but it's going to be done by SCG again. But I, I hope we have Nick Miller involved because the man is just a monster at his job. He's just so good at, like... Yeah having everything like ready for you and then broke down because when we did the SCG event Indy earlier this year, Nick Miller was busy having a kid, you know, his wife was pregnant, like very, very pregnant. And he was like on call for this. I can't leave. So we were, we were short that and you feel it, you know, like you notice that when he's not there. And so it shows, you know, how intricate and important that kind of job is. So like you're, you're, you know, you're getting it. I'm just loving hearing this from you because like, you know, it's something that I've been going through a lot over the last couple of years of doing coverage and like hearing it from other people's perspectives. I love it because no matter how many times you've been told or anything like that, and I don't mean this in a bad way, you're just always surprised at, like, A, how much work it is, and B, like, how tiring it is, and then, like, how much extra stuff goes in that you just, like, you're like, yes, this makes sense. Like, obviously, this has to be done, but it doesn't it doesn't click until you're there doing it. It's like when you're yeah. at home watching it, you're like, oh, whatever, they're just sitting in a booth talking. You know, like, no, there's a lot more to it. Yeah, and Todd started really dragging on the second day because he was super tired, yeah, uh, so he and, looked like he was a little under the weather or something. Uh, yeah. No, he was really. It was really just him being tired. And then, I, you know, when he started saying he was tired, I was like, okay, like I, I've got to pick it up a little. Did y'all have and, a third at all? Like anyone that could come in oh, for no. like one round? It was just Ooh. the two of us. We had no breaks. You're um, monsters. And so we're just, uh, you know, so, so I started trying to be, you know, a, you know, carry the broadcast a little bit more. And you know, when I'm with, you know, doing things with Corey for Mana Traders, I basically let him carry everything. And Todd has plenty of experience, you know, commentating for SCG. So I kind of let him take the take the wheel uh, for most of it. But the second day, I, I had to step in there. And then by that, the elimination rounds of that RCQ, the last few rounds of the weekend, you know, I started to drag too. And the, you, you can tell that the commentary gets a little bit loose <laughs> towards the end. And you have more of those moments where you're like, because you're always just trying to keep it going, keep the conversation going. And there's just a, always going to be moments through the weekend where your mind is just blank. And you're just like, scroll like, okay, I got to say something, yeah. got to say something. So like, <laughs> one, one of the things I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm sure there's going to be some people if they do commentary going to hate that I say this out loud, but there, there's like a thing that um, me and a few people have talked about, especially when you do my role predominantly. Like I'm usually like host slash play by play a lot because 
I'm good at that role, right? I'm good at keeping the conversation going, obviously. You know, I do this yeah. show. You've, if anyone who's ever met me in person, I talk a lot, right? Like, I'm good at keeping conversations going, and it's a skill. But one of the main keys for doing one of these, especially when you do, like, an entire weekend of the same format, is stuff gets very repetitive, right? Like, you see the same matchups, you see the same decks over and over again, and one of the most important things you like roles that you have as, as a person is you have to say the same thing hundreds of times over the span of your career but you have to say them differently and that is like the hardest part of the job is saying the same stuff sounding excited or generally being excited for some of it and like you know having some oomph behind it if you get what i'm trying to say and yeah. saying it differently instead of always saying the same exact thing and like i think about this stuff in between shows and stuff like hey how can i do this where i don't just say the same thing over and over again because you can't help it but a lot of times you know you and i are casting a show right we're 14 rounds in and i'll just be like ross like we've talked about a lot over the span of this weekend it's it's fine to say that every now and then but when you've said that the fourth time in a match i'm like we probably shouldn't be saying these words at the beginning of a sentence. It's it's a crutch. You shouldn't do it because now the viewer's like, what did I miss? Did, did what I miss, is, is that important? And now they're not thinking about what's going on. And like, you know, they're, they're not as in front. There's so many little things to it. And God, you, you make me want to go do commentary right now. <laughs> no, it was fun. And, and we were pretty fortunate that. You were great, by the way. I did watch a little bit. Th thank so. you. Thank you. E even though we did modern both days. Uh, and the metagames were relatively similar. Like, Four Color was the most played deck each day. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We had a lot more control on day two, which was a little weird. Um, but, you know, it, it dropped off after Four Color being, you know, far and away most represented. Um, but even with, you know, it was relatively small tournaments, it was like 60 on day one and I think like 53 on day two, right? Yeah, very, um, very intimate, yeah. Yeah. We had pretty diverse fields and different decks do well each day. Like day one, the story of it was Cascade and Charles Agent because our top four had Living End, Rhinos, yeah, and Glimpse yeah. of Tomorrow. We had yeah, all three all of them this. in yeah. the top four and eight Charles Agents in the finals. Uh, and and despite having, I, I think it was 11 out of 60 playing four color, so almost 20%, there was none in the top eight. Uh, so, and then day two, we had no Cascade decks do well, two four-color decks in the top eight, and three different rogue decks. There was Monorail Eldrazi, Jeskai Blade, like the Fervent Champion yeah. sword deck, yeah. and um, what was the other? And Domain Zoo. Those three were in our top eight, whereas... It's just wild, yeah. Yeah, so we, we got some good diverse matchups across you know what amounted to 18 rounds of modern, uh, and that certainly helped. Um you know, also not having any four color decks in the top eight of the Invitational on day one sped it up a little bit. Yeah. We were playing best of five in the top eight. Uh, yeah, so if we had had four color decks, yeah. oh lord, two hour matches, <laughs> at least two hour matches. Yeah, Especially if it was a mirror, if it's a mirror, that's like, oh yeah, oh my, that's a nightmare. That, that's why they didn't top eight. Is a lot of them finished in X one one with an unintentional draw early and didn't have good enough breakers. So years and years and years ago, when I was doing Hearthstone coverage, I very specifically remember this 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 tournament that we did. And you know, it was like an invite-only tournament. It was it was like in between metas, right? It was like during a very specific meta where the specific control deck was very, very, very good, right? And then some of the other decks that were good could like kind of go toe to toe with it, or could go long as well. And I remember it was like me and like this guy named T.J. Rogers were like, um, if I remember right now, I might have got the name wrong. Anyway, uh, it was me and somebody were doing this, and. Uh, we didn't know how long the days were going to be. And they're like, hey, we're going to do like four or five matches in a day. So like we got our, you know, we we got our compensation for that. But we didn't realize that it was going to be this meta. And the day took about twice as long as I thought it would be. 
And I remember in the middle of one of the matchups, like the control deck was going super long and it had reached a life total that was like insurmountable by its opponent, but the opponent was playing on. And my co-caster broke, like literally lost it and just started going nuts. And like the dude's a super professional, right? Like, you know, works for Blizzard and everything. And I was just like, yeah, this format fucking sucks for coverage. Excuse my language. But like, I was like, this is awful. Like, and I was like, man, if I would have known this, I would have asked for like double the payment that we got. Because I was like, oh, if it's four or five matches, that means we're like working for six hours a day, whatever. We ended up being like 10 or 11 hour days instead, you know? And yeah, it, it's just crazy how it works out. By the way, I did coverage this weekend too. I, di- I didn't know if you knew that. Uh, I didn't until you told me before the show. Yeah. So I had a really wild one. It was not the same as y'all. I got to do it from here. You know, I could have not worn pants and been fine. You know, they oh, I didn't wear me. pants either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That's <laughs> the, it's like the old joke, uh, the sports center thing. You know, they have the, they have the suits on up top, but then they come out from behind the booth and they're wearing like gym shorts, you yeah. know, like or tearaway pants or something. Anyway. Um, so I, I did the backpack coverage, you know, the Honorog DOS, like yeah. he's at, at SCG Syracuse. I did the uh, first three rounds on what would be Saturday morning for the show. You could actually go back and find the VODs for this if, you, if you're if you interested in that kind of thing. But it was modern. And I had a uh, unique challenge this weekend, kind of similar to Todd's. So uh, the day before, you know, it's Friday. I'm doing all my normal stuff. And... Um, I'm like, man, I got to get up, you know, kind of early. I've been sleeping in a little bit later lately. My sleep schedule has gotten really messed up. I haven't been sleeping super well. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my personal life. I've been a little stressed and my sleep has been a little messed up, right? So I was like, it shouldn't be that bad. You know, it starts at 10 a.m. Eastern. So that's 9 a.m. My time so call times like 830. Right? And I've been sleeping a little later than that, you know, generally like, you know, 10, like 9, 10, 11 o'clock, just depending because uh, I'm not working a job right now, like a full-time job so I can sleep in and I've been kind of just staying awake later, right? Anyway, long story short, it's about 5 a.m. Saturday morning. I haven't fallen asleep yet. And at that point, at like 5, 5.30, I'm like, I think me getting to sleep for like an hour and a half is going to do more harm than good before this show because then I'm going to actually be tired. So I just stayed up, did the show. And then when I'm done with the show, at like my, my portion of the show at like 1 or 2 p.m., I'm like, what am I going to do for the rest of the day? I can't go to sleep now because then my schedule is just completely completely ranched you know so i tried to stay awake uh i think i ended up falling asleep at like 6 p.m but i set an alarm so i could only sleep for like an hour or two and so i woke back up and then i woke up feeling like pretty good but then like i didn't go to bed until like two in the morning or something that again so i was like all right whatever i'll just sleep for like you know eight hours or whatever and i was like but i don't set an alarm clock and i slept till 2 p.m the next day Ended up sleeping like 12-ish hours, like 11 or 12-ish hours. So like, I'm still kind of messed up now. So this sucks. Like I thought it would like change my my sleep schedule. So whatever, try to fix all that. I ended up doing another round of coverage where I got to do the finals of Legacy. So that was easy. I was like, I can do this with my eyes closed. You know, it was Delver versus Storm in the finals. So I was like, okay, like I think I've got this. I've played this matchup hundreds of times myself, including against you on camera once, which was nice. Yeah, for one <laughs> of us. Yeah, man, you got you got round you got uh, trounced. It's, it's, it's what happens, okay. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, but yeah, it was a, it was a it was a good weekend for Magic. I got to do a little bit of coverage, you know, watch some stuff. That was a lot of fun. Um, besides that, there's something I kind of wanted to like kind of do a little bit at the start of our shows, where because um, we we kind of do this, but we don't always. And I want to make make it a thing so everybody at home can kind of follow along, where we talk about like. What, what's been going on if we've played Magic or inter- interacted with Magic or whatever in the week prior and what's coming up. So anyone who's listening, if like, hey, we've got coverage coming up. You know, we didn't really get a show in last week, so we couldn't tell people that we were doing coverage. But like, just 
just so everybody at home kind of keeps up. So other than the coverage of the event, how was your last week? Did you get to like play any magic? Did you do any preparation? Did you learn anything new? Anything like that? Or just anything in your personal life? Um, I honestly could not tell you what I did last week. <laughs> how old are you again, Ross? Like, <laughs> this weekend was so long and it was a little bit, uh, I mean, it was repetitive, not necessarily in, in a bad way. Because Caldwell, Ohio is so small and we were working such long days, we basically showed up at 1030 in the morning for a noon start and left at 1030 at night both days, mm-hmm. right? And at 1030, there's not much open in small town Ohio, but you know what was open? The Wings, et cetera, I next to our hotel yeah. that was owned by the person we were working for. So we went to Wings, et cetera, three times, what Friday, Saturday, eating? and Sunday. What were you eating? I had a Beyond Burger one night. Ooh, was it good? Uh, it was very good. Nice. I had a the next night. I had a large order of fries tossed in their Caribbean jerk spice rub that was meant that for the wings. Really good. And um, a, and some mac and cheese. And then the last night, I got some tater tots, which I dipped in a side of the parm garlic wing sauce. That was a good idea. And um, oh, what a, what else did I eat next to those tater tots? Mozzarella sticks. Yeah, we ate uh, poorly <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> sure. Um, there wasn't really other options. Yeah, sure. That was the one downside of being in Southeast Ohio. I will say this. A big thing that I've learned to do whenever I go to shows from now on is I try to always find like the nearest Walmart or something, right? And I go grab a few things. Like I go get like a healthy snack or two for me. I grab some of my V8 energies, like whatever, because I, you know, I, I try not to drink coffee or any of that other stuff. And I just try to take care of myself because it's hard to do. Over the span of a weekend. Funny, um, if, you if it gets loud ask. here, it's starting to rain really loudly. <laughs> also, if like my power goes out, we'll we'll figure yeah. it out. Funny, you should ask that, Tannen, or say that. Okay. Because we did end up looking up the nearest Walmart. We did mm-hmm. this on Friday because we neither of us thought to bring a bathing suit, and the hotel had a hot tub. And, and I know you. I know you and Todd both really enjoy a hot tub. Yes. So, so you wouldn't and want one. I, I had basketball shorts with me, and I was fine going in in those. Yeah. Todd had nothing, so he was like, "So we looked up the nearest, or we asked, well, you know, the front desk, and they're like, yeah, there's a Walmart in X town. We assumed that was close. And then when we looked it up, it was 17 miles away. A little bit of a trek. A little bit of so a trek. So instead, Todd bought some basketball shorts at the Family Dollar that was nearby. Nice, nice. And we hopped in the hot tub on Friday before uh, heading down to the store, where the owner actually treated us to a double master's draft. So we, uh, so that was my... I had no idea what was even in the set. Oh, that's fun, opening your first yeah. pack. <laughs> and I opened the first pack, and it had two foil rares in it, both of which I thought could be EDH staples, not like I really know. But I thought they might be, so I took them both. <laughs> and I was like, I'll figure out my deck later, I'll be fine. It was a privileged position, which is where I looked it up later, is worth like twenty or thirty dollars because I have one of like the the extended art versions. Sure. And a Rourke Thar that is worth two dollars. Yeah, that's so, not worth anything. Yeah. But that one made my deck. So yeah. I ended up trying to draft a Gruel Ramp deck, which by the end of the draft turned more into a teamer mid range deck. But the good news was I had Maldrifter and I had mm-hmm. Prophetic Bolt. And when you were turning this prophetic bolt, you don't they lose. They are dead. They're dead. They're just yeah. dead. <laughs> they actually were dead. My opponent, who is Todd, was under four life when I drew it. <laughs> prophetic bolt is one of my favorite cards of all time. Absolutely love that. Um, that actually like leads me to some of the things that I've been doing over the last week, besides the, the commentary as well. I went and spent way too much money on some double master stuff because I'm kind of a sucker when it comes to the, the big time ticket stuff. 
like the the whale stuff. Like I'm I'm kind of a sucker for it. Instead of buying, I think like twelve collector packs. Do you know how much they are a piece? Uh, like forty, fifty bucks. Like seventy. Seventy. Or something like that. Yeah, it's it, depending on where you buy them from, et cetera, et cetera. If you have tax or not included, blah blah blah. But you know, opened up some some cool stuff, some of the higher end stuff. But like, I also did a draft, which was like you know fifty bucks, a lot a lot of fun. Like you did, like open the first pack, and I was like, uh, what do I what do I take here? Are these cards worth money? No. All right, I'll take the coaling oracles and the bold drifters and stuff like that, and I'll just figure out my deck later. Just take the removal and the card advantage. It's a lot like drafting cube, is is yeah. what it feels like. So um, definitely liked the set a lot. Um, do you have anything coming up in the next week that you're looking forward to? Uh, it could be it could be anything. In the next three or so weeks, there are various people descending on Roanoke, Virginia, all at different times. So it's going to be a wild rest of the month here. Remind me to talk to you about Roanoke. that after the show. I have something yeah. in the future where I might be uh, coming by. So and and uh, not this coming weekend, but next weekend. Uh, which is the last one that Travis is going to be in town. He's moving back to Orlando uh, the following week. So his last weekend uh, at our house, we are actually hosting a get-together for everyone where we will be playing the Backyard Olympics. Two-player teams, five events. The events are uh, Giant Beer Pong, which we have in our backyard now. We bought 12 large trash cans. It was more expensive than you might think, but it was definitely worth it. Um we have Can Jam, of course. We have Cornhole. We have Bocce. And then our last event, because we can move it indoors if we need to, if the things go long, is regular beer pong. So we'll be playing a five-event uh, Olympics here, a pentathlon, if you nice. will, nice. Uh, that I'm planning to make some a lot of food for. So I've got I to prep that. Very jealous. I'm, I'm, do, I'm going, I'm theming with classic cookout. So I'm going to make burgers, hot dogs, uh, with a vegetarian option for each. Right. I'm making deviled eggs, which I usually do right. with some curry because I like curry Ooh. with deviled eggs. Yum. Um, I'm making a pasta salad. Um, haven't decided exactly what kind of pasta salad, but some form of it. And I'm going to make... Do you do it cold? I like it cold. Uh, yeah, I'll make that the night before and chill it. Mm. Um, and then That's, what I'm I mean. That's what I mean, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I'm, uh, I'm making elote. I'm going to go to the oh. farmer's market that morning and get fresh oh. corn because it's the middle of summer so we can get some really good sweet corn. And, I wish people uh, could have seen my face when you said that. Yeah. <laughs> Going to make some elote. I love elote. I've actually I've actually had it like I've actually had it in South America like as street food. It is. Yeah. I was like, "Oh my god." I mean, I was like, this is going to destroy me. I'm going to pay for this later, but <laughs> god, it's good going down, <laughs> you know. But oh man, is it good. Um as for myself, I try to think of like what I have to look forward to over the next week. I don't think I have any really plans. I'm putting together some stuff. Like I'm actually putting together a tournament series for Flesh and Blood. They're going to be doing mostly on like YouTube and stuff that we're that we're grassroots putting together and hopefully going to make it pretty big. But for the size that we have it and like the like a our player roster is utterly insane. Like just utterly absurd. Uh, we have a little bit of a budget, so we're gonna have we're gonna make it look a lot better than you'd think. You know, I'm trying to say like we're 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 stretching everything as far as we could possibly go. Um, I'm looking forward to playing some actual magic soon in the future. Like I had to miss the uh, local, what are they? RCQs? Is that what it's called? RCQ? Yeah. Regional I had to miss my local far. RCQ for DreamHack because of working this weekend. Like, you know, I got to show up in round two, but I went and actually watched for a few rounds, like just hung around, like hung out, got to watch some stuff. And it kind of lit the fire a little bit, Ross. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I was like, man, I want to I play in one of these. These decks look all sweet. The formats look great and wide open, which we're going to get into in just a minute. So I've got some of that stuff coming up. Um, 
you know, I've got two to three, I've got three at least huge flesh and blood events for the rest of the year. I've got the Pro Tour coming up, we've got our national championships and our world championships, I'll be doing all of those. Our national championships is not far from you, in fact. Where is uh, it? It's going to be in Charlotte. That is not and far at all. Yeah, exactly. And I've been talking about how I've been looking for an excuse to come out and hang out in Roanoke. So I need to look into this, make sure everything works out. But either before or after, I'm really thinking about just driving up, staying in Roanoke for a little while, and then I'll just drive down to the thing. You know, and like I'll probably have like my own hotel room or whatever. So if somebody just wants to come with for the weekend, be like, yo, just come with, come hang out, you know, sure. that kind of thing. Wh- like, when is it? Uh, I don't have it memorized. <laughs> they, they take care of the stuff for me, Ross. Okay, <laughs> I just have to be Mr. there and show Big up. Time, <laughs> shut up. No, but you get to say like I'll get the I'll get the exact date for you afterwards. It's it's I could Google it right now, but that's way too much effort. All right, that's asking way too much from me. But uh, I was thinking about like trying to coordinate that as a because you know it's only like a thirteen-ish hour drive, so I could just like you know drive up most of it in one day, you know, get a hotel or something, and then you know come on over, stay for like you know, a week or two with you guys hang out either before or after. That's the big thing is I need to figure out, you know, if I want to do it before or after and figure all that. But Tannen's coming to Roanoke. It'll be a lot of fun. You know, we can hang out. I need to find out when your your baseball leagues are going on because I want to try to time it with that so I can play in a few games while I'm there. That'd be, that'd be fun. Yeah. And then uh, I think it might be right around the time of the baseball playoffs and stuff happening too because I think it's in like August, like late August maybe. Uh, not August, I'm sorry, that's the Pro Tour, uh, the month after that. So, like, we might be, you know, getting a little bit towards, like, fall and stuff. So, should be a ton of fun. Um, other than that, I don't think I have really anything, like, super planned over the next week or anything like that to look out for. This has been better last week. I was like, hey, watch our shows this weekend. Watch, you know, when we're on, on camera and stuff. So I, I have nothing planned. I just know there's going to be a large amount of nonsense mm-hmm. in the next mm-hmm. three weeks. I'm super, super jealous, by the way. It sounds like a lot of fun, and I wish... I was actually coming up there for that. So, um, you know, we kind of alluded to it. Uh, the f- format's got a little shook up this week. I think mostly we're going to talk about uh, Pioneer and Modern and what went on and, and how they affected some of the stuff that's going on. Like, you know, also these are the two most popular formats for the yeah. RCQs that people are playing in right now. And which one did you want to start with? Did you want to start with Pioneer? Yeah, Pioneer is the so, most... Uh... Yeah, so there was a very interesting thing that happened with Pioneer this weekend. While there were a couple of rogue decks that you wanted to talk about, I think the most interesting thing was the winner of the two challenges, two different people, same deck this weekend, and one that we'd kind of heard a little... It started getting a little bit written off recently. A lot of people were saying, oh, this deck's actually not that good. It's not that good. Well, uh, apparently Lotus Field is back, and in a big way, because it won both of the challenges this weekend, Ross. Yeah, and... I think this makes some sense given the way the metagame has turned. Although it never really made much sense to me that Lotus Field had disappeared over the last month or so. I, I don't think the deck is, you know, broken. I know there's a lot of people that dislike it because there's just a widespread hatred of combo decks within the Magic community. Uh, but, like, this is a solid deck. It is a good deck. And it is especially one that is very good at punishing dopey, grindy mid range decks. And that's what we see a lot of. There's a lot of Rakdos decks, which are dopey and grindy. There's a lot of Is It Phoenix decks that don't, you know, even though they play blue, don't really have a lot of disruption. They're just chock full of cantrips and spinning their own tires most of the game and then play red creature removal. And in matchups like that, where you've got time and you're not facing that much disruption outside of, you know, a single counterspell or a single Thoughtseize, then Lotus Field is going to eat you the fuck alive. And that's what it did. Yeah, like... 
it's funny because I, I was watching in person, you know, ours was Pioneer, the RCQ that happened here this weekend. I was watching in person, one of my buddies was playing the deck, and I watched him play against his opponent, and his opponent realized on like turn one or turn two that it's that it's Lotus Field, and I just watched him slump in his chair. He's just like, I, I don't have anything for this. <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm just dead. And the guy just like had his way, you know, in, in the matchup. And yeah, it's it's like, you know, I'd heard this, you know, you see people talking about stuff at Twitter and they're like, yeah, the deck sucks or it's not as good as people think it is. And I was always a little interested, right? Because like, I think when you and I talked about when um, the format for the Pro Tour got announced, I was like, you should probably see a lot of Pioneer RCQs. I was like, I think the deck that I wanted to spend the most time on right away if I was going to like jump into this format and figure out what I was going to play was I wanted to play with this deck because of the fact that like I just wanted to understand it. Even if I was going to play it, I wanted to understand it because I knew I was going to play against it. And it was the most odd deck. Like as in like all the other decks, like I can pick them up. I have like at least some base knowledge on how to play them. I don't generally gravitate towards this type of deck when you talk about Lotus Field. I just kind of wanted to like know what I was getting into. You know, that kind of thing. I, I've yeah. always found in testing, one of the easiest ways for me to figure out how to beat a deck is to actually play with it. You know, because so, then I learn all of its ranges from all the spots, and I'm like, oh, well, then, you know, they have this or this, or they possibility, or they're representing this kind of thing. You and also learn the, the things that list. you're most scared of, so if you end up on another deck, you know the, so the sideboard cards that actually work and the ones that people just say work. Yes, exactly. You're like, what am I the most scared of in this moment? So what are they the most scared of in this moment? You yeah. know, kind of thing. So that's always been the best way for me to learn is to like just learn the deck from that perspective. Unless you can just straight up play against somebody that's like willing to play a bunch of games against you and talk you through it. You know, yeah. like it's hard to learn a lot of times when you're just getting your shit pushed in over and over again in a matchup. You're like, well, this isn't working. I don't know what I'm missing. I don't have anyone to like. Kind of, it's like the uh, it's like the we had the the coaching discourse come up on Twitter recently, and people were like, a it it always baffles me when people naysay it for one thing, and then b like you know they were talking a lot about the price of it. By the way, I, I guarantee you this: if your coach is good, they're underpaid pretty much no matter what. They're underpaid. But two, I've gotten coaching a ton through my career in competitive games, whatever game it is, especially like, but magic is the most prominent one at all levels from all different perspectives, including when I was like on the train for pro tours, like, you know, top eight and half the events I played in, in SEG opens. So like, if you're one of those people, it's a little iffy on it. And you've, you've thought about possibly getting, or you're wondering, Oh, what can I get from it? If you get a good coach, you can get a lot from it, and it can help you out a ton, especially when, like, there's a lot on the line, like these RCQs, and that could be the difference between you just hop-hating one or winning one of these things or spiking one of these invites or something like that. So I'm a big fan of getting coaching if you need it, and, like, depending on what level, right? Like, you could be an FNM player just trying to get into competitiveness, and you're like, I need that next step to, like, you know, jump into competitive things, or, like, hey, I'm a pretty good competitive player, but I could be better. You know, like, I could win, a, like, a few more rounds you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And then even you or me, like, I know, I can't, how many times have I asked you, like, hey, what am I supposed to do in this spot against this deck? You know, kind of thing. Like, it, like someone might be like, oh, that's not coaching. Yeah, it is. Like, you know, if I go to an expert <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm having a problem in this matchup or this thing where, like, I don't know how to sideboard in this spot. Like, what what should I be doing? You know, that's coaching. Yeah. And then I've had the ones where I've, like, literally, like, I remember when I was learning pod back in the day, you know, there were certain people that you would go to, you know, like Josh McLaren. I was like, hey, Next time you do a league through Moto, can I can I just come watch? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, hey, why'd you do that? Hey, why'd you do that? And he would say something, and I would literally write it down. <laughs> I'm like, you know, this guy's really good at this deck. Maybe I should listen. So, yeah. sorry, rant, rant, rant over. No, but. I, I agree with you there. I think that's an underutilized aspect of, of Magic. You know, one of the benefits 
I think of teams and that, that you know, sort of team model that we've had in pro and competitive magic over the years is, you know, being able to talk with other high level players and get different perspectives on, you know, deck building, sideboarding, technical plays, all of that, because so often you don't realize your mistakes because they're the result of a lesson you learned and you think you're right and you have something inbred in your thought process, and you're a little bit off. You know, it's probably something that is generally true, but there's an exception in the case that in that you're missing. And, you know, so, so often we have all of these uh, mantras, you know, bolt the bird or, or you know, uh, you know, all the things that Reed wrote about in his seminal Thoughtseize article, like how to pl- and how to play that card. Uh, you know, things like play instance on your opponent's end step or attack first, you know, play during your second main phase. And there's always exceptions to those things. And what separates good players from great players is knowing when to deviate from those established norms. And so coaching oftentimes can give you that where a player, you know, another player has seen that exception, whereas you've seen another one. And if you talk to each other, you'll then both understand each exception and be that much better for it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, um, I remember I actually used to do coaching quite a bit. And one of the big ones, like, I knew some people were gonna laugh about this. I did Tron coaching quite a bit. Like after I used to, you know, put up a, a bunch of really big, decent results of Tron. And bad coaching was very different than other ones where like, we didn't actually focus too much on the actual gameplay. Like, you know, turns four, five, six, seven, because those decisions are relatively easy with the deck. It's like pretty straightforward. The hardest parts of that deck are three things. A, turns one, two, and three, you have to maximize at all cost. If you don't maximize turns one, two, or three, you are going to die, right? Um, two, sideboarding can be very difficult with that deck. And then the third one, and probably the most important one, was mulliganing. And I remember at the time, I went through and I did the, you know, the sample hand generators when you pull a deck list up? Yeah. I went through and did that, and I just like kept clicking through it and found about like 30 of them. And I took screenshots of them, and I would just... Like in coaching, be like, I I would just show an opening hand, and I would talk to them, and be like, hey, what do you what do you think about this one? You know, in the dark or in this matchup, you know, would you keep this? Like, would you mulligan this? Why? Like, tell me why. You know, like kind of thing, because like that was one of the most important things. And if you've ever watched my matches that have been covered on camera, you've seen me go down to like five and four a lot with that deck, and like that was a thing that I had to stress. Like, you have to be willing to just mulligan like crazy. What is that? Because it just doesn't matter. It's like it's a very different yeah. deck than everything else, and that was something that if you didn't have a lot of coaching or you didn't have someone to talk to you about, you might not just pick that up inherently just from playing games. Yeah, when I play against Tron players and I don't know them, I'm hoping that they keep seven. That's when I feel most confident because like that's the, you know the most common mistake people make is keeping loose hands, and that's all I want them to do: keep a loose hand and miss, please. I'll never, I'll never forget this. Uh, it's like round twelve of like one of the tournaments or something, right? I'm in a feature match. I'm playing against like Cat Light, right? And uh, she like looks at her like hand or whatever. She's like, "I'll keep." They come, you know. She like looks at me, and I'm like, "I have seven. I'm like, "Yeah, I'll keep." And she goes, "Shit!" And, like the they, like the judge next to her is like looks up really fast, and she's like. She goes, I'm dead, right? I go, oh, you're so dead. <laughs> or like she asked, she's like, how dead am I? I was like, it's going to be bad. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, my hand's just perfect or whatever, you know, like yeah. kind of thing. It's just like, it's like, it's the joke. It's whatever like good player keeps seven on Tron. You're like, I'm dead, right? Like, I'm just dead. Yeah. 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 Like, it's like, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, getting back to, to what we were talking about here with, with, with the Lowe's Field deck, you know, I, I, you know, I think there, there's, 
a real failure to within the entire community to properly assess combo decks because so many people just avoid them like the plague. So they me, will, I'm I'm so many people by the way. Yes, I'm, like yeah, there anyway. are there are tons of people that just do not play combo decks because they are, they fundamentally alter the rules of Magic to where like you know when you're just playing an aggro deck against a mid range deck. You can use your normal principles to determine who's ahead. Like, who has more stuff on the battlefield, more cards in hand, and, you know, more life. Those are your, your three metrics, you know, and you, and you can decide which one of, which, how to weight those metrics against each other. You know, depending upon the combo deck, you know, things could be very different. You, you know, you could have you know, no cards in hand, but your battlefield is good enough. Like, you, you've got to know exactly how the combo deck works to know how close they are to killing you and use that to reevaluate, yeah, you know, absolutely. what is a close position and what is not. And then, so even looking back at a full game, a completed game, you have to use those that same, you know, adjusted uh, perspective to decide what game is close and what game is not. Most, if, if you use typical... Uh, you know, principles for analyzing magic games, the combo decks will look like they either did everything and were broken or they did nothing and are unplayable. And so that creates a polarized opinion, you know, of the deck if you're not able to adjust your thought processes appropriately to the context of that deck. And that's why I think we see that that polarized opinion about combo decks within the magic community, you know. There's people that love combo decks and play them all the time. There's people that hate them and avoid them like the plague and want every combo deck banned. You know, during the last round of bannings, when iteration was gone, there was a lot of people that were just like, okay, now just ban Lotus Field. And then you didn't see Lotus Field in a tournament for a month. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, at that point, you know, I, I don't know if that's, you know, actual rational thinking that is going in to that result. I think there's a lot of times uh, in a metagames where, Players will just, you know, sort of have an unwritten rule that nobody wants to play these combo decks or play against them, and so nobody does. And eventually, the metagame, you know, they become so ignored that some people decide, you know what, I'm going to fuck people up with a combo deck. And that's what we had last weekend. It's the joking thing with Dredge we were talking about, right? It's like it's like the clock on the wall. Hey, has it been six months? Yep, they've downed their their graveyard hate. It's time to go. You know, <laughs> yeah, kind of and thing. then the next so, week is the worst yeah. week to play because yeah, everyone's like, like, oh, you shit. Should, <laughs> you should never play this deck. Yeah, yeah. don't play this deck. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so that deck definitely had a really, really good showing this weekend, right? Like, it could have been different, right? Like, if they didn't win the, ter- the the two events, it could have been like, hey, you know, Lotusfield made a little bit of a comeback this weekend, but no, it won both of the events. Speaking of those Pioneer events, there were some um, some interesting things going on in this top eight. You know, like we said, there was a couple of uh, Rogue decks, some interesting, but one of the things I kind of wanted to point out was the human-based aggro decks that showed up quite a bit in these top eights, including... Two very distinctly different ones, Ross. Yeah, these decks have actually been around in right. Pioneer for quite a while. They, they had a lot of hype. Been... Yeah, yeah they, they had a lot of hype right going into Indy. Like going into Indy, yeah. I remember like a lot of people had some hype for it, but then it kind of just tapered off. Yeah, uh, and, and they haven't been super successful. Um, they, they've had had some moments. You know, Max McFeedy obviously uh, played the company version um, in that team event that they won in Indy. Uh, I don't think he personally did that well with the deck and wasn't super impressed by it. I remember someone saying they thought it was garbage afterwards. Like yeah. They played it and they thought it was just bad, but yeah. Um, but, you know, we're seeing here some some people have success with it. It definitely has some really strong curves uh, if we look at the five-color deck, but I actually do think these mono-white lists are significantly better. I actually played a very similar deck 
when I was streaming. I actually built a version of this deck that was splashing black for um, it was uh, General Kudro and maybe some sideboard cards. It was very light because I mean, there's a, a there's a version this weekend that played a lot of black in it that did pretty well. You know, looking it's got like Liliana in it and General Kudro, like you were talking about. And I think there was something else as well. But this yeah. is the one that like generally the ones that use Pyre of Heroes, so they're like they're um, they're t- yeah. tutor targets, you know. Yeah, so the, the, uh, there are versions that do that. I prefer the more low-to-the-ground, straightforward, aggressive decks, like the one that took second here from, from John W. The I think Braid the Elements is an incredibly powerful card if you build your deck correctly. The problem is, you know, decks that play Brave, in order to fill out with all these cheap white creatures, usually have to play some stinkers. Um, and they've gotten some better one-drops printed recently. I think Hopeful Initiate, you know, is a yeah. recent printing uh, and you really do need a high critical mass. I often look at these deck lists and think to myself, like, you're not playing enough one drops. Like, I'm looking at this list that took second place, and I, I just think you need more one drops in your deck. Because there's what I see four Dauntless Bodyguard, four Hopeful Initiate, a Kithian, and two Thraben Inspectors. You only have 11? Jesus Christ. I want to play like 18. You know, <laughs> a, you know, so this like one of Tomic, this Extraction Specialist, and this Elite Spellbinder, if I was building this deck, would all be one drops. Every single one of them. And I, and then I'd probably cut a land and add another one drop because I've lowered the curve. I do really love Brave the Elements in here, though. Though this is a card yeah. that can really blow out some of its hardest matchups. You know, I'm thinking about like the Phoenix decks that have main deck uh, Anger of the Gods, and if you were to cast this in response to Anger of the Gods, I think the game just ends on the spot. Uh, yeah, I I agree. The card is, is really good against those sweepers, Deafening Clarion, also also uh, a common one. Uh, but a lot of the times, Brave is also disused as a falter. Like, mm-hmm, falter effects are something that aggro decks really like, but they're so narrow that you can't play a card that all it does is stop your opponent from blocking. But the fact yeah, that it's... Brave the Elements can do it among all of these other things makes it super valuable. So for everybody at home, what he means by falter is it's just a card to give like your creatures like, oh, your opponent has a couple blockers. Well, they're all blue or they're all white. So we can give our creatures protection from that and they can't be blocked. Falter might be a little before some of your yeah. listeners' time. Like the, These aggro decks, especially white ones that don't have a lot of removal, it's really just Brutal Cathar in the main deck here. Yep. They often, you know, lose when their their opponent just takes over the battlefield and they don't really have a way to get through you know maybe they have a flyer here and there i, I, th- I think the tomic is the only flying creature in this spe- exact oh, and the spell yeah the two yeah. one ofs uh the only flyers in this exact list um uh, selfless spirit as well on the sideboard along the sideboard, with sure. uh, archon of Ameria. yeah i was just well. looking at the main but yeah, yeah sure, sure. Not, not many so yeah you know a clogged battlefield is gonna be a problem here and brave the elements really helps at that uh, this is also a deck that has some, you know, really high leverage cards. Maybe you can protect a Thalia, even if that costs two mana. Um, you know, against a combo deck, you can protect your Brutal Cathar and keep their creature under it. And then Adeline, I, I, you know, I played the, the white aggro deck at the uh, SCG Invitational it, it last October. And I loved my deck. I, cr- I crushed the standard part of the tournament. And Adeline was a big part of it. This card is messed up. Yeah. It's very, very good. When I was looking through lists and playing a bit in preparation for that tournament, people only had like two or three Adelines in their deck. And when I started playing with the card, I was like, I'm playing four. Like, I, I, think I don't care. Extremely, it's like the Goblin Rabble Master. You know, it's like the, the red decks were like, we didn't really, yeah. it got previewed. People were like, oh, that's cute. It's like another good, and you're like, you play with it. And you're like, oh my God. Also, like, I think we can't understate how important the fact that it is that two things. The turn you play it, if you attack with it, it triggers. It, yeah. it doesn't have to be it attacking. It's when you attack. So you get the token right away. And two, it's got four toughness, which is very big 
We've yeah. talked about this. We've talked about this since, the sh- <laughs> since we started the show. Four toughness and pioneer, very important. Yep. So uh, I completely agree. So uh, I think those recent additions have have filled out the deck well, so that you're not forced to play really underpowered cards in order to take advantage of something that's a narrowly powerful card like Brave the Elements. So uh, I think we might start seeing more of these decks because, you know, we're we're getting to the... I think we've reached the point where that critical mass is there. I just really wish people would put more one-drops in these decks because it benefits a lot. I know, you know, when I was building the deck, I was playing, uh, um, you know, Venerated Loxodon. I ended up realizing that four was too many of that card for Pioneer. Um, but the first, you know, the first copy you would draw was good. So I would even try to play that card in small numbers, but you have so many great powerful options now with Thalia being added to the format. You know, I didn't have access to that one. Uh, and now Adeline, so maybe Venerate Deloxon gets pushed out as much as I love that card. But yeah. I, you, you know, even without Loxodon, this is a deck that wants lots of cheap creatures. You want to come out, uh, swinging, you know, Mutavault can get a little awkward there where, you know, in, in games where you want to go triple one drop, uh, Mutavault gets in the way of that. But w- with this land count of 22, which is really nice for a deck like this because you have so many utility lands with the Ajanjo, Castle, and, and Chef at Dunes in addition to the Mutavaults, uh, you still have enough white sources. Like, you know, yeah. this is 18 white sources. You're not playing it, you know, triple one drop uh, all the time. And then sometimes when you have triple one drop and Mutavault, you can, you know, just play a two drop instead. You know, play your Thalia or your Luminarch Aspirant. Uh, and, and that's perfectly fine. So uh, I would definitely just add more one drops, but otherwise, I think the deck is sweet. Oh well, yeah, for sure. So I have a couple things. Uh, again, practically half the lands have abilities on them. Huge for for these monocolored decks that, like you said, maybe doing some slightly underpowered off, you know, things uh, for the for the format. So that helps out a lot. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? I, I know for a fact I had a question though for about this. How do you feel about this deck going forward? You said you think it's going to get played a little more when people it becomes a little bit more of a known commodity and people know about Brave the Elements. Because here's the thing: this deck's maybe it's not like new, new, but like it's not super popular. And I guarantee you, there was a time or two during this tournament where this player really got their opponent because they didn't know Brave the Elements was a card in their deck. Yeah, uh, I I think that's going to happen more often when you're trying to use it as a falter and your opponent will attack and leave back, you know, different colored blockers mm-hmm. or when you're trying to protect a single large threat, like your Adeline, uh, and then they'll, you know, you know, try to navigate around it effectively. But in the situations where it, it's at its best, which is countering anger and deafening clarion and cards like that, there's not a lot those decks can do to play around the brave. Like if you don't cast it, you're probably dead. <laughs> and if they brave yeah. you, you're still dead. So wh- yeah. what are you going to do? And it's an interesting spot, too, against, like, certain decks. Like, if you get one of these Tomics into play and you have a Brave the Elements against uh, against Lotus Field, like, what are they supposed to do? You know, like, they, they have, there's a lot of, like, they have to work around that quite a bit. You know, they have to find their Ugin or their Supreme Verdict or something at that point. And then even then, you can try to get around that, too, if you have, like, Selfless Spirit, one of the other ways to protect your creature, or what's it called, uh, Dauntless Bodyguard. You know, now, like, you like Ugin's one of the only answers. So, like, yeah. by that time, by the time they get to Ugin... It's going to be hard for them a to do that because you're you're stopping their land from getting untapped or you know being copied, and then b like they're attacking you like there's a lot of power getting put into play pretty quickly by this deck. So, I mean that's probably another thing like even with uh this deck you know doing this this well this weekend, it's got some decks that it's got good matchups against too, right? Like it actually wants to kind of play against these Lotus Field decks in a, in a way. This seems like if you're an aggro deck, you want to be playing against 
Lotus Field right now because they don't do anything against you for the first few turns. And if they don't hit like their settle or their Supreme Verdict, you kind of just get to like run them over. Yeah, I, I think that matchup would be solid. And, you know, they do block early with Arboreal Grazer and Fave Wishes. Um, though, you, you know, that lets you get some targets for your Brutal Cathar, which is nice. But the deck does have some disruption. You know, like you mentioned, Tomic, there's uh, Elite Spellbinder, there's the Archon of Amirias in the sideboard, which are excellent. Um, so, and, and then Thalia Guardian of Thraben. So plenty of disruption uh, in an archetype that is not known for being very disruptive. And that's part of why, you know, getting that critical mass of powerful cards is relevant, because powerful also means like giving you other options rather than just coming out as quickly as possible and trying to reduce your opponent's life total to zero. It means, you know, you're actually able to slow your opponent down, whether it's stop their sweeper or stop their own proactive game plan and, uh, and things like that. You know, there's also just, you know, hopeful initiate being able to blow up different artifacts and enchantments. Uh, and then you've got, you know, Brutal Cathar on the sideboard protocol holes to answer creatures. You got Rest in Peace to deal with graveyards. So it's a well-rounded deck uh, in that respect. You know, the one thing you would be missing is like, you know, something to grind card advantage. But this deck generates card advantage from its mana base. Well, like I mentioned, all of those uh, utility lands. Uh, so that's really where, where you know, with the one place the deck might falter and it has, you know, a pretty good uh, source of staying power with those utility lands. And I think that's what makes it underrated because anytime people think of aggro decks like this, they think, Oh, I'm going to be too linear and I'm, you know, I'm just going to be, you know, putting my creatures on the table and hoping they're good enough. And that's not really the case with these decks. They actually have a lot of play to them uh, and a lot of options with all of these different disruptive elements and different abilities on your creatures and different utility lands, not to mention the versatility of Brave the Elements. Um, so, yeah, definitely a, a, a thinking man's aggro deck, even though it is a, a, a you know straightforward mono-white deck. Absolutely. What were the, uh, the... I know you said you liked these cool rogue decks. What else were we looking at for this weekend? So, uh, I, I think it's interesting to start looking at decks like that for Pioneer specifically, because... We've got these tournaments coming up. There's eyes on them. I think, you know, anybody who is qualified for them already is going to try to, you know, work through the format and maybe coming up, come up with something new. Uh, and we see here in 17th place uh, on the first Pioneer Challenge, so this was last Saturday, Demonic Tutors, a man who streams all the time, pl plays a lot of different decks. Uh, you know, 17th, this is, you know, and the still in the X2 bracket, probably took one of those losses early because his tiebreakers ended up not being very good. Uh, but a solid showing here and one that if your you know, losses came in a different order or in the later rounds could have uh, snuck into the top eight. Playing a Grixis token spells matter, but also sacrifice matters sort of hybrid strategy, really trying to mash those two things together because you've got the Ledger Shredders, the Blue Cantrips, Optin Consider, and Treasure Cruise, uh, sort of like from the Phoenix deck, but instead of Arclight Phoenix... And, you know, discard outlets and ways to fill the graveyard. We've got Sedgemore Witch, Young Pyromancer, then Village Rites, Deadly Dispute, Eaten Alive to take advantage of those. And then using Claim the Firstborn as a removal spell in addition to a little bit of red removal and some Thought Seizes. Really interesting deck here. You know, anytime you try to hybridize two existing archetypes... It's often hard to find the right balance between everything that's going on. But this deck does have a lot of overlap. All those cantrips that are feeding your treasure cruises and feeding your ledger shredders are also generating 
uh, creatures with the Sedgemore Witch and the Young Pyromancer. So then that's feeding all of the sacrifice elements of it. Um, so it does seem like there's a very natural play pattern with this deck where you're trying to stick a creature early, maybe setting up your draws with some cantrips, uh, or disrupting your opponent with removal and thoughtsies, then, uh, you know, using the remaining cheap spells you have after the creature sticks to build up some tokens, you know, then you know, use these sacrifice, uh, cards and finally treasure cruise to refuel. So, uh, I, I like the way it looks. This is, you know, by no surprise, given the fact that I very much enjoy Cantrip Heavy Blue decks and Rakdos Sacrifice decks, and we just put them together. It's like, you know... There's the Venn diagram, and, and you're slowly at the, solely at the middle. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Or uh, I'm thinking the, uh, the the Reese's commercial. It's like, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. Yeah. You got peanut butter in my chocolate. Yeah, exactly. That's, this, is, this is exactly the thing. You're just standing right in the middle, and you're like, yes, give me all of this. No, I, want, <laughs> yeah. I, want, I want all of it. There's also a Plum the Forbidden. I don't know if you mentioned that in here. It's a card I know you were a big fan of when it got printed. Yeah. Um, I honestly think I, I would play the fourth Village Rights over it just to be as, as cheap as possible. Uh, I also think three Thoughtseize is a weird number, but, you know, I'm sure he has his reasons. I actually, like, I actively want to go, like, watch Demonic Tutor stream and hope that he's streaming this deck just to learn more about it. Yeah, I'm... I'm... He usually streams a ton, so I'm sure if like his his VODs are out where you can just watch them at any point in time, which most people's are, you might be able to just find this event and watch back at it and stuff. So that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, actually, that I'm I'm gonna do that. That's what I'm doing tonight. Yeah, if you're, yeah, I'm gonna be watching the Braves versus the Mets start like their playoff series tonight. Technically, it's gonna feel like that, but uh, oh, I don't know. Man, that is What's awesome. What's up? Um, what did you just get excited about? So look, the two copies of Make disappear in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a new card, like uh, two yeah. mana counter unless I pay two, but as casualty one, such an easy card to use casualty for. So it's just two mana counter unless they pay four, which might as well be counter spell. So yeah. you get a nice versatile counter spell in your sideboard instead of something like negate that's not going to be good against creatures, uh, you know, or, or like disdainful stroke that might not counter, you know, anger of the gods. Uh, love those make disappears. That's a that's a good find. That is not a card that would immediately come to my mind if I was building a deck like this. I would probably just have two negates in there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but make disappear is, is really cool. Was there another deck that caught your eye in the uh, the pioneer event? Yeah, on the uh, in the second challenge, in Sunday's challenge, thirteenth place. This is Togek, uh, and I, I had no idea, but you told me you know before the show that apparently this grinning Ignis, you know, Hazaret's monument or Burgi. Uh, I guess probably just Burgi because Hazardous Monument is too old for Arena. But uh, that combo was part of one of those Arena well, formats that yeah, I don't I'm pay not, attention to. Yeah, I don't. I haven't been paying attention to it, but I know they banned the card. Sure, it was, yeah. They didn't fix it. They didn't change it. They just straight up banned it in one of the formats. And I, I heard people saying it was like in some kind of combo deck. So I assumed it was something very similar to this. You know, you're mentioning the cards Hazardous Monument, Burgi, uh, that, and then. It's it's like a so this is like an elemental themed combo deck with a bunch of creatures that do things and they come into play and then you get uh, what do you call it uh, runaway steamkin to help generate extra mana and with Hazaret's monument and Burgi you're going through your entire deck as this goes and then you've just got to light up the night in your deck and you're like all right take a take a million yeah you know it's it and also I mean like this deck can do some some degenerate stuff too like you've got risen reef in here and if you let risen reef just go like it's gonna do an absurd amount of stuff uh yeah like you can you can grind I, that's the way you can grind but i like how, how much redundancy the deck has like obviously you need to find a grinning ignis there's no card that really replaces that functionality but grinning ignis with burgy is going to go infinite in terms of just casting spells 
um, which can, you know, win the game with just a, a Risen Reef um, because Ignis is an elemental. Grinning Ignis with Hazaret's Monument, uh, a little awkward because you're going to start turning red mana into colorless mana, um, but that can help you, you know, uh, you can use that colorless mana to, you know, cast the, the last spell. So you can go off from like a low base of resources, Runaway Steam can, you know, generates extra mana, and then you can win the game with the one copy of Light of the Night or the two copies of Devilish Valet. And if you've got the Valet, you don't even need to, you know, be generating mana off the loop. You just need to be able to keep recasting the Ignis. You need to not be the last creature in your deck. Yeah, at some point, it's got to get into play, and yeah. it's going to trigger a bunch of times. I'm actually wondering, like, if if it's something that you could look into, what's the name of the modal land that's Fling on the backside? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I can't remember the Whatever name it is. It. The modal land is Fling. If, like, you could make a spot for that in this deck, but, like, maybe it's just not even needed. I'd have to play the deck out, but, like, having, you know, another way to win with Devilish Valet, you know, if, like, they have, a, a like, a... I mean, this does have trample, though. I mean, blocking is just not going to stop this card. So, like, it's going to have a million power at some point. Because it does double, right, every time it happens? Um, yeah, it, double, yes. it doubles for yeah. every creature. So, once you play like, the increase. seventh creature, they're just dead. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter at this point. Like, no yeah. deck's going to be able to block. Yeah, I mean, the, the fifth the fifth creature puts you at, at 32. So, this, mm-hmm. you know, if the fifth or sixth will, will kill them almost assuredly. Yeah, exactly. So, really cool deck. If you like the really complicated creature combo decks, you know, if you're a fan of like spirits or any of the ones that are even more combo in the past, this is the deck for you. Yeah. And, and between Risen Reef, Burgi, and Hazaret's Monument, um, I'm specifically talking about the backside of Burgi, you generate a lot of card advantage. So you can grind through removal with this deck, uh, I think, pretty effectively. So, also, I think this deck's really good at winning out of nowhere, where you're like, at the end of your opponent's turn, you're like, play Collected Company, untap, <laughs> do something else, now you're just dead. Yeah. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to do all the things from here. Like, yeah, definitely a deck that, that can go off from out of nowhere, so your opponent has to put a lot of respect on you. And that, you know, in and of itself is a form of resilience, because it puts your opponent in those awkward spots, and you're often being given, you know, a lot more turns to assemble the pieces that you need. Exactly, so... All right, and I think that was about it for what he wanted to point out for Pioneer this weekend, but we did have a lot of modern results as well for this weekend. I know you and I both covered modern uh, this weekend as well, and it while we've been saying this for a while that there is a top dog in modern, some stuff kind of changed a little bit this weekend, and we saw some some results with some decks that we haven't seen in quite a while. It's not just four-color, Ross. Yes, so I think we had recently seen the four-color decks be targeted mostly by decks that were trying to go over the top. You know, whether it was a deck like Yawgmoth that has a combo uh, in it, or big mana decks like Scapeshift and Tron and Amulet, uh, that was sort of the the viewed as the best way to combat these uh, four-color decks. And this past weekend, it seemed like we've, you know, gone the other direction, and now everybody's trying to go underneath them. And that, I think, makes sense, you know, not because we were wrong before, but because once you introduce those big mana decks as a big part of the metagame, that's another thing that these you know, low-to-the-ground decks can punish. So I see a lot of burn, I think three copies across the two top eights in the last week's challenges. And that second challenge was filled with Hammer, a deck that we have not seen a ton of since the Luris ban. Uh, I think it's four Hammer decks, yeah, second through fifth, all playing Hammer uh, in that second challenge. Uh, and then we've also seen a recent resurgence in Grixis Shadow, which, you know, even though it's disruptive and can grind and play a long game, you know, De- Death Shadow itself 
uh, can apply a lot of pressure and end the game quickly. So mm-hmm. all three decks that are decks that uh, you know can apply a lot of pressure, uh, end games quickly, and they take up a huge number of the top eights. Uh, you know, four colors still winning one of the challenges. So so that deck certainly not going anywhere, but. Now put in an awkward spot where you got to kind of prepare for decks that are going over the top of you and decks that are trying to go underneath you. That might be tough for them to do. Yeah, and that would be nice, actually, right? To like not just have this be pretty much the only option in modern. If it felt like it felt like for a little bit, and like you know, we saw this. You know, the decks that could possibly go over the top of it, winning the other the other event. You know, seeing the indomitable creativity, transmogify, like our kind of cruelty deck thing like whatever you want to call this deck or whatever win the other tournament and then like you said that's the one that's just got a ton of hammer in the top eight as well which you know hey uh everything's cyclical right like it always comes back around and mostly it's been the blue white version of hammer that's been showing up you know things like mana leak and stuff like that in the sideboard and some other cool stuff some spell pierces and stuff making it in but i think we needed this right like we needed a really good just aggressive deck to be back in modern for a while yeah modern has really slowed down a lot so i i would love to see some decks that you know actually punish things for being uh slow and, and just uh beat some people up <laughs> yeah you know even in the luris era we had a lot of low to the ground decks including hammer and shadow but by virtue of having luris they were a lot more comfortable playing long games so the tactics were a lot different now these hammer decks you know still plenty of resilience uh, you know, the reality chip is a big one for the Azorius uh, versions, but uh, definitely try and end the games uh, faster and go for their combo more often. And that's why I think you see cards like Spell Pierce, uh, even in the main deck of some of these lists, just trying to, you know, put put my hammer on the table and, and uh, counter your answer to it. We've seen Mono White doing well in these tournaments as well with hammer. So not just the, the, the splashing for another color one, just, hey, the straight up, I'm trying to kill you as fast as possible and interact the, the least amount you know no mana leaks no thought seasons like we've seen on the black ones and stuff so uh still some some space to be explored with those as well um what do you think brought back death shadow you know a deck we hadn't really seen much of in a while and like i've been hearing a lot more people you know talk about this recently it got ninth in one of the open i mean in one of the challenges weekend got fourth in another one like and, and it showed up in our tournaments as well we saw i think four or five copies in the metagame each day though uh not area top eight among them. I talked a little bit when they when I first started seeing Shadow again with uh, Corey, uh, you know, figuring that that he would already know, and he seemed to think that Ledger Shredder was a really big boon for the deck, uh, giving it another you know a, a card that can help you know help it be resilient you know after losing Luris and help it in longer games. Um, I honestly am not a big believer. I just don't think Shadow uh, without Luris has that late game potential. You know, Ledger Shredder is not a unique card to Shadow. You know, they play it in in Is It. So, like, what exactly is Shadow playing that Is It isn't? Because there, I don't think there's a lot that I, I, I'm in love with. The Drown in the Locks as your counterspell are weak against big mana decks that are popping up more recently. The uh, Thought Seizes in your deck, I think, is the worst way to attack the 4C matchup. Because they just have so much gas to draw off the top of their deck. And worst case scenario, if you run their hand completely empty, there's still Alaris sitting in the companion zone. So uh, not a big fan of attacking them with discard if I don't have to. 
so to me, the, the shadow deck, which used to be significantly better than, you know, is it, uh, is now, I think, significantly worse. But it's a deck that I think is really popular. And it's, you know, it's not bad per se. I just don't think it's a great choice. And if you're going to play shadow, I would rather just play is it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Anything else really standing out to you this weekend from the modern events? No, I think the good thing is that we're starting to just see a little bit more diversity. Uh, and to be honest, I think it's because 4C was never... like It's a very good deck. It's a very powerful deck. I think it's still you know the quote-unquote best deck. Um, you know, Omnath is just a fucked up magic card. Omnath and Ren and Six, like, yeah. come on, man. Those yeah. two cards are so fucking good. Um, but I don't think it is a, a broken deck. I, I think it's. I don't think it's a deck that is going to be able to, you know, dominate a wide field like modern can present with all those different angles. Decks going over the top of you. Decks going underneath you. Decks just trying to combo you, um, and then decks that are trying to interact with you in various ways, like is it and shadow. Um, you know, a, a broken deck is going to be able to, you know, easily parry all of those different angles of attack. I don't know if four color is going to be able to do that while, while still dominating. It'll still show up. It'll be popular. It'll put up results, but I don't think it's going to dominate the way we saw it a month or two ago. I think the metagame is fully adapted. I actually like that. Um, some people are innovating on four color lately. And it's something that I think is something that needs to happen more in magic. And sometimes it's underlooked at where you have a top deck in the format, right? Like you have a, you have a popular deck. It's, it's believed to be the best deck by everybody else. And it's very easy to just cut and copy a list, right? Or maybe change one or two cards. But <clears throat> some of the versions that I've been seeing doing better lately have changed a lot of things. Like, they'll have, like, four bobbles in their deck, right? And now they'll be playing Traverse the Uvenwald in their list. So now it just gives you extra copies of Omnath, extra copies of these elementals that are, you know, the pitch elementals that are so good, like, subtle. I mean, it's not subtlety. Like, yeah. you know, all these other removal spells. If it gives you extra copies of all your creatures... But then, like, you know, they can start to... I've seen some versions where, like, they don't even play Lightning Bolt anymore. Now they play on Holy Heat. It's just a bigger, more efficient removal spell. It kills a Planeswalker, you know, every time now. Because that's, that's a hard thing in the mirror, right? Is if they, get a, if they get a certain Planeswalker to a certain point and you can't attack it, you actually just can't kill it anymore because Bolt doesn't get it done, you know? And having to traverse the Uvenwalls has made the deck even more consistent, which is scary at a deck its size. And, you know, you're just drawing so many cards going through and you know, I've, I've done some casting of some of these versions. I've watched some games. Th the amount of times it gets Delirium quite easily is kind of scary. And the fact that, like, you know, it's not a deck like Is It Prowess where you're trying to get Delirium as quickly as possible. You're trying to get a ton of cards in your yard, and it does it very easily and very quickly. Like, th this one does it. It seems too easy for me as well in, the, in these spots. So I'm liking that people are doing some innovation on it because... You know, it just gives you that those extra. Remember, Eldamari's Call was played quite a bit in, and, and this card just like it's a it's a lay of the land early. You know, if your hand needs that one little piece to to keep going, like yeah, I've got one of my triomes, but I don't have the right one. Right? Usually, you don't have too many you know mana problems with this deck. It's like it's, that's one of the tilty things about the four color deck is the mana is great, but it is nice to see them innovating. Uh, I completely agree, and I do. I like the traverse builds. They're gen it generally replaces Eldamari's Call, like you noted, and Call. I think people found was a little bit too clunky um, and you know, you didn't want to draw a ton of copies of it and it, you know, even when you drew it, it could really slow you down traverse being able to cast it turn one and just find a land if you need it uh, and only costing one in the mid game, 
you know, at the price of putting four Mishra's Baubles in your deck, one of the probably lowest opportunity cost cards in the entire format, uh, while also, you know, helping out and letting you upgrade your removal package to Unholy Heat, uh, makes a lot of sense to me. It also helps out your Emrakul to Promised Ends, which basically every list has one copy of, either in the main or the sideboard. That's like the late game trump card they all have now. Uh, so, you, you know, you want to get to that card relatively quickly. Uh, you know, the diversification of your types to make sure you have Delirium for Diverse also helps the Emrakul. So, yeah, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, and and I generally prefer those builds over the ones that are pl- still playing Eladomri's Call, though I think Call is more popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So... How are you feeling about the modern metagame? I'm actually pretty excited about seeing the results from this weekend, seeing a little tiny bit of a shakeup. Yeah, I'm feeling better than I did, you know, a month ago after seeing it in person at this tournament where, uh, you know, or multiple tournaments, you know, where I was afraid we would see a, pr- a pretty narrow field, um, as you often do in invitation only tournaments anyway, uh, and seeing instead incredible diversity and now seeing these results where, you know, for a while it was just four color, really, and a little bit of is it. And then we started seeing the big mana decks creep in, and now we're seeing the small decks creep in again to you know prey on the big mana decks. It seems like we're getting to the point where, like I said, the the metagame is well adapted. I actually think that this is similar to what went on with is it Phoenix uh, in in 2019. You know that deck dominated for a month or two. And I think people finally, you know, fully adapted to it by the, the end of its run. And, you know, it got put out of its misery by Hogak and then Faithless Suiting was eventually banned. But even in the, like the month or so before MH1 hit, is it Phoenix, you know, felt significantly less powerful to me. I was winning less with it. And, you know, mm-hmm. it just it seemed was like... Harder. It was harder. The format caught up to it. Yeah, it seemed like people had, had you know, figured it out and... Well, with the four-color deck, you know, super powerful deck in the wake of the Luris ban, it took us some time to figure it out and find some of its holes and really just kind of, you know, maybe build our decks better in order to combat it. Uh, and now we're seeing in the results that, you know, yeah, it's, it's probably still the best performing deck, but maybe that is more a product of its lingering popularity from when it was busted um, than, you know, something about its you know, edge over the rest of the field or a result of its edge over the rest of the field. So I feel a lot better about modern than I did a month or so ago. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. Like it's, it's nice seeing diversity happen. Plus like, it's just nice seeing aggro come back. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of when those decks can be played in the format. Yeah. Completely agree. You, you know me. I, I, I like my Rakdos decks. I like my Cantrip decks. I like my aggro decks. <laughs> Yeah. Before we move on, to make sure we always want to make sure that we mention our lovely sponsor. That's Barrister and Man. That's Man with two ends. When you want to find him online, barristerandman.com. You can find a lot of your uh, needs of things that you're going to need for on there. Uh, I'm a big fan of the shaving stuff. And God, Ross, I go through these phases where, you know, I'm just like, man, I forgot how good this stuff is, or whatever. But like, I just cracked a new bar of soap the other day. And like, I'm, you know, I'm probably you about two or three days away from doing that myself. It's the best, right? And you're like, the best thing is like, so I have it in like the bottom drawer of my, uh, what was that, my kitchen? I have it in the bottom drawer of my um, my bathroom, my, yeah. my the master bathroom. And the way I did it is I put all of them where I can't see the name. And I'll just open the box and then I'll go take the shower. And then I'll go look at what the box is afterwards. And I'm always like, oh, that was great. It's like a nice little surprise for me. 
Uh, besides that, love the absolute, you know, the shaving stuff that's going on with that. Make sure you check them out, barristerandman.com for all your, you know, your needs when it comes to that kind of stuff. Uh, also, the holidays are coming up. Makes really, really great gifts for people. I absolutely adore every product that I get from them. Ross, there's a code attached to it. Do you remember what it is? It is MTGRANTS2022. Yeah, and that gives you a 15% off at checkout, so make sure you use that before you check out with Barrister and Man. Also, I think we had a mailbag submission question uh, this week. We do. It's from uh, Revan Christ. He said, what are you hoping Dominaria United brings to Pioneer? I have a very simple answer to this if you want me to go first. Sure. So since it's Dominaria, when I think of Dominaria, I think of like old school magic. I think of like the original plane that we were on and stuff like that. I think asking for the finishing quick lands is too much. Like finishing the quick land cycle, like, you know, getting back, uh, you know, the red black one and the blue black one and things like that. Like, um, yeah, getting them into these, Pioneer. Getting them into Pioneer, right. Yeah. Dark um, Shores, Seacrum Coast, Copper yeah, Line, Gorge, Coast. Razor, I think that's Rich, asking too much. Cliffs. Yeah. But I think we could get the pain lands. It's whatever they want in standard. That's the problem. Is, you know, what are they going to want to come into standard? But I think getting one of those fixed and the full end of the spectrum, because we've only got half of each of them. Yep. would go a long way in, in, in fixing some of the the deck problems that we have in Pioneer. Yeah, the, the Pain Lands would also be Dominaria appropriate since they were initially there, whereas the Fast Lands were on Scars. Uh, although they, you know, obviously they finished the Triumph Cycle in, in a different plane. So both possible, but yeah, I'd be happy with with getting either Cycle into Pioneer. I just want balanced mana bases. I don't want Brennan to embarrass himself on Twitter anymore. <laughs> and buy a set of Ice Age Brushlands, yeah. thinking they're legal in Pioneer, and they're just not. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a that was funny, and b that was so Brennan, like hashtag so Brennan. Yeah, it was. It's like when things are that so Raven, but instead of Raven, it's Brennan. Yeah, I knew there was something there, and I just couldn't think. I'm like, there's something here I'm, I'm missing. <laughs> so I couldn't remember what the, the thing was. So definitely. All right, I think we have a couple, a little time for a few of these overrated, underrated. So let me scroll up to where we were the last time. This is, this is a lot to get through. Okay, uh, from S Wallaby thirteen, Tool the band. Uh, overrated. I think they're slightly overrated too. I do really like some of their stuff. Um, let's see here. What's the next one? Give me a sec. Fuzzy Dan says hot pot. Or sorry, instant pot. I'm assuming that's hot pot. No, the Instant Pot is the new brand of electric pressure cookers that uh, have become really popular in recent years. I'm unaware. Uh, I actually own one, uh, and I hate it. Okay, so it seems like overrated. It's just very finicky, um, you know, difficult to clean, and like, I, like there's, there. I mean, it, it does get significantly worse when you go vegetarian. Because most of the best things to pressure cook are like tough cuts of meat that, you know, sort of similar things you would do in a crock pot. But instead of taking 12 hours to do it, the pressure cooker can do it in like three. Um, and that's nice. But like I've tried to like pressure cook dry beans before to save time. And it never really seems to come out right. Um, you, you've got to like you with a pressure cooker, like once it locks, it's it's done. You can't like, you know open it up, realize you fucked something up and like redo something you're ba you're basically done for. So if you don't set everything up, right, it all goes, you, everything's, everything's bad. And normal cooking, if you're like standing over a stove and you can see if something is starting to go wrong and adjust as you go. So I'm, I'm just not a fan. I do uh, often use it 
uh, when I make soup, I don't pressure cook anything. I just use it as like a saute thing because it holds like a big pot. Um, and, and that I find convenient because I can do it like off to the side in the kitchen. Um, but that's about all I use it for. And for how much it costs, that's not great. Yeah. Okay. I get, I get, you've convinced me. Okay. Kyle MTG stick breaks says, uh, the block button on Twitter. I think it's underrated. Uh, yeah. Underrated. For your own mental health. Yeah. Like that. Just, just block people. Here's a good one. Brent Wagner, our lovely editor, says the closeness when people say something is best not close. Um, uh, the, um, the, I'm going to go so, with. So the closeness, would they think it's it's very low in closeness, but in fact, the closeness is much li- larger than they think. So they're underrating the closeness. So it would be underrated. I'm going to go with properly rated because when if I were to say this phrase, if I'm like, this is the best thing, not close. Generally, I follow it with like it's not close and it's not close to being close because that's how much I think the 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 gap is. So I'm gonna go with underrated. The, the the gap is even bigger than you think it is when I'm saying that. So, but you're probably wrong. I'm always wrong. I always look. I always allow the the possibility that I'm probably wrong because I usually am. This is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catholicist switching decks a few days before a tournament. Um. I mean, at this point, I think people realize how generally bad that is to do, mm-hmm. so properly rated. That yeah. said, I think there are some times it can work out, depending upon how you've done your testing. Um, but that's a, a much longer conversation. <laughs> yeah, there was a couple questions right after this about switching your decks right before tournament, night before, morning of, hour before, way overrated. No. Usually, it's, usually it's wrong. I have won an open switching my deck the night before the tournament. Mm-hmm. To a deck I didn't have the cards for and had never played a game of. Which one was it? What it was, was it? Bant Heroic that I ended up playing in Cleveland in April of 2015. Instead of this the shit pile Sultai Whip mm-hmm. deck I had been playing. Sure. I'm trying to find the next one. <laughs> uh, so this one's from... These are from March and... Around the time the $50 16-card wildcard packs got mentioned, someone mentioned that. That's obviously way overrated. You've heard us talk about don't buy that. But Yeoman5 says, treating your user base with some goddamn respect. Obviously way underrated. Just yeah. remember your your user base, whatever you want to call them, are people too. And they're usually not idiots. <laughs> so eh. They might be idiots, but are. they still deserve respect. Yeah, they're, ours are not idiots. So, All right, uh, Cathal says tofu. Way underrated. Way underrated. Yeah, especially yeah. if you do anything to it, like you yeah, put yeah. some effort into it. Oh, you it. you can't just like eat you know plain tofu or like sear yeah. it. Like you got to add a lot of flavor to it, but it is just a sponge for flavor. Yeah. Um, and you do have to add some texture to it. Like I, I don't like it, you know, like steamed tofu or whatever. Just put it in some oil and like get some crisp on the outside. Um, because otherwise, I don't like that spongy texture. Um, that it just naturally has. So you do have to do a lot of stuff to it, but it is easy to do stuff to it, and it will literally take on any flavor you want. So it's incredibly versatile. Um, the, the issue is that we have come to view it in the West as just like a fake meat thing, and that's not what it is. Like tofu is its own ingredient that needs to be understood separately. It really is sort of a cheese product. Like it, it is, it's bean curd, um, and it's made in the same way. And if you think about it that way, if you think about it more like paneer in Indian cooking, 
uh, you're going to have a lot more fun with your tofu and more deliciousness. 100% agree. All right, tempeh. Uh, that, I think, is overrated. I'm not a big fan of tempeh or seitan. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like iffy. People at home can't see me doing the, the middle. You know, yeah, it has, an, it has an, a sort of, not like grainy, but granular. I understand those I, I are see, kind of I know synonyms, yeah, but like, yeah, it's yeah. like big grains yeah. in, in the texture that I don't really enjoy. I can understand that. Uh, Flackle says tempo. <laughs> you don't have to actually answer that one, but it's just funny. Uh, tofu, I mean, tempo, yeah. underrated as, you know, in terms of what I understand tempo to be, I think people's appreciation of it, utilization of it, and understanding of it is underrated. As a word that conveys that concept effectively, Way overrated. vastly overrated. Uh, K-Fet says the song, Colin Patton Rouge. I don't know that song. It's a Garth Brooks song. Come on, buddy. Uh, yeah, I know like so, three Garth Brooks songs. So obviously it's underrated because it's an amazing song. Um, Garth is the man. First concert I ever went to, still one of the best concerts I've ever seen, was Garth Brooks. And the song Call in Baton Rouge in particular, not just because I live in Baton Rouge, but Call in Baton Rouge is a really, really great song because it's like a super upbeat like country song. And those don't really, ex- you know what I mean? Like you think of country, it's like, oh, I lost my dog, I lost my truck, I lost yeah. my wife, that kind of thing. My so, wife left me and she took my yeah. truck. As soon as this, I have homework for you. As soon as you're done with this episode, just listen to that song. It's like three minutes. It's great. Okay. Um... Okay, here we go. KFET. Ohio State fans claiming Joe Burrow is a Buckeye. They do that? Yes. Well, that's fucking stupid. Yeah, it's just stupid. It's yeah. just not overrated. It's just dumb. Yeah, that's just like, <laughs> let's just comically. That, that's sad. Honestly, it's sad. That's what it is. It's like, mm-hmm. y'all, like, do you really need to do that? Has it been that long? For, yeah. You know, that's just sad. It reeks yeah. of desperation. Be better. Be better. There you go. Okay. Uh, when P- Brent wants to bring this up, when people ask you to put dice on things that don't need dice, examples, uh, car instructs, uh, two die on it to represent its current power and toughness, etc. Um, I would, of course, put a die on a construct token. I mean, he's saying putting dice on stuff that don't need it. Like, you don't have to do that. I mean, it, but that's just communicating the board state effectively to your opponent, and I'm always I'm in actually, favor of that. Now, I'm in favor of it, yeah. You, I would never put two dice on it, like one for power and one for toughness. Um, you know, especially because since that's an XX, even with like a Tarmogoyf, like you disagree that you put a five on it when it's a five six. You know, uh, the the reason that I'm so big on it, and a lot of this, this was before I got into Flesh and Blood, but it's big in Flesh and Blood. Is I just want everything represented as good as possible and as quick as possible in the game to make the game go smoothly and quickly. So we get the game done with, and this is a big part of me. I just want everything to be smooth and easy and stuff. Now I will say that if my opponent is also playing with effects that put plus and plus one counters around, then I would prefer not to have dice on it. So I don't confuse those for counters and think it's bigger than it actually is. So Raven Christ says sneaking snacks into the convention center, definitely underrated because most of their options suck. Yeah. You should just do this all the time. Yeah. All right. Cathal says walking with shoes in a house. I think it's way overrated and like just makes stuff dirty. Uh, yeah, I used, I do it sometimes, but I try not to. Tang says walking barefoot in a house definitely underrated. It's great. Yeah, walking barefoot is just the best. Yeah, uh, Flackle says walking bare butt in a house also underrated. Something I'm, I didn't think I would do a lot of until I bought my first home. When you first said this to me, it, it didn't click that uh, means being naked. that you just meant just walking around naked. And I was trying to imagine someone like walking on their butt. 
like sitting down. That sounds painful. Knees up to their chest, so their feet are off the ground, and like it's, like, it's going to really hurt on tile or wood, and then you're just going to get really bad burn marks on carpet. Like that just sounds awful. Yeah, like, yeah, and it sounded and it did great. sound awful. But yeah, just walking around naked in your own house. That's if you one could of peek the into my house. You'd get a lot of free shows. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's one of the the main you know uh, negatives from my moving into this house yeah. last year. Yeah, and, you be naked and not living alone. <laughs> uh, Gold says bringing Bigfoot in the house. Obviously, way overrated because he's gonna cr- like just trash so much stuff. He'd be like a bull in a china shop. Yeah, I'm uh I'm gonna leave him outside. Yeah. Variance twenty eight says Bigfoot the monster truck way underrated. Big fan when I was a, when I was a fan I, when I was a kid. You you can remember a specific monster truck? Yeah, they had Bigfoot. You don't remember like it was like Sunday, Sunday, Sunday at the local whatever, blah blah blah. You know, bring yourselves and your whole family. It'll be good fun time. Uh, you know, good time for everyone. We'll we'll supply all the excitement. You know, you paid for the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. You know, like that stuff. Yeah, like I know those commercials. I'm trying to think of them. I the only name I can remember from them is is Truckosaurus. Yeah, Bigfoot was like the one that like. Do you remember when you were a kid? Like, I think they still have them, but they had like the the like little, you know, like the little toy trucks that you could sit in and drive instead of they go like four miles an hour or three miles an hour, whatever the like, little slow truck, you know, sure. like for like five year olds. They had a Bigfoot one that was like the most popular one. Your okay. your childhood sucked apparently. You're probably like reading some book about math or something. I did read several books about yeah, math. When obviously, I, was a child. I wasn't making a joke. I was being serious. Uh, also, encyclopedias. Uh, I watched a lot of The Simpsons. Like, there's a reason I know all the things that I know. It had to come from Mm -hmm. somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's here's one. I think we can maybe end on this one. Cathal says spinach. Um, underrated. I'm a big spinach fan. Also, big spinach fan. Also, think it's underrated. The thing about spinach with me is every time I buy it in like one of those big containers with a ton of spinach, I'm always like, man, I bought so much spinach, and then I cook it at all, and I'm like, man, I did not buy enough spinach. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That is that is a tough thing to do. Um, I actually, I always try to find spinach that isn't like the baby spinach that's in the, in those like plastic boxes. That's what I, that's what I eat. But yeah. Uh, that's like most of the spinach they have, but if they ever have like the, the full leaf spinach, the fully mature, I, I prefer that a bigger leaf of it because then you just get less stem and like, I'm not, I'm, I don't have the, you know, patience to sit there and like pick out all the stems, uh, because I don't like the texture of those. Uh, sometimes I'll use frozen spinach. That helps there, um, but yeah, it's great. One of the, my one of my favorite recipes, and you, and you've had this. I made this for you and Brennan, where there's uh, chickpea spinach hand pies. Oh yeah, they were great. So, all right, I think that's gonna do it for this week's episode. A little bit short, but uh, we got some stuff we got to do. I've actually like need to get off the computer like right now. So, everybody, thanks for listening this week. Uh, we'll be back next week, and we can't wait to see you all again. Thanks for listening. Bye.